You're listening to Pastor Ryan Couch as he teaches through the book of Ephesians. If you have your Bibles with you, please open them there. Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to finish Ephesians today. And we've been studying it since uh, the end of June, five months or so. It's been an exciting uh, study. Next week we'll begin a study through Philippians. I'm really excited about that. Uh, Philippians um, is is going to really challenge us. It, it's got some amazing stuff uh, from Paul in Philippians. But we're finishing up Ephesians this week. And in our study of Ephesians, we've really... Uh, seen three main points for us to kind of wrap our minds around. And first of all, Paul presented to us our wealth in chapters 1 through 3. He talked about all of the spiritual blessings that we have. And Peter kind of sums it up in Second Peter 1, 3 when he says that we've been blessed with every spiritual... Excuse me, that's Paul. When he says we have everything that we need for a life of godliness. And Paul said it in... Chapter 1, verse 3, that we've been given everything we need for a life of godliness. And so, everything that we need, everything that, that we uh, need for spiritual sustenance, every spiritual blessing is given to us in Christ and understanding who we are in Christ and who Christ is in us. That has really been sort of the overriding theme and certainly the theme of chapters 1 through 3 as we learned of our wealth. And then in chapter 4, Paul began to talk about applying that wealth when he talks about our walk and putting it into practice because the thing is is that we can understand our wealth and we can understand that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places and we can understand that we have everything for a life of godliness But then if we don't put it into practice, it's meaningless to us. It has to to develop into practical life, into a demonstration and a manifestation. Paul talks about our walk in chapters 4, 5 and part of chapter 6. And then in verse 10 of chapter 6, Paul talks about our warfare, our wealth, our walk and our warfare. And we've been looking at our warfare the last few weeks We've seen that we have an enemy who is the devil who wants to steal and to kill and to destroy us. He's not passively just sort of sitting by like a bass during winter that just kind of holds up, you know, and if something floats by, he'll eat it. No, he is aggressively, proactively trying to destroy you and me. And he wants to get a foothold in our life so that then he can have a stronghold to destroy you. And we're in a war. Whether we realize it or recognize it or cognizant of it, we are in a war. And we talked about that. And we talked about our armor. The armor that really is found in Jesus, putting on Christ. We talked about all the different pieces of our armor. The the helmet of salvation. The breastplate of righteousness. The belt of truth. The shield of faith having our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, taking up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. All of these things are found in Christ and putting on the armor of God. And I encourage you if, you, if you weren't here these last few weeks or you haven't had a chance to hear those, jump on the website or get a CD and, and listen to those studies about our warfare because I really feel that that is important for us to understand and to, to be... Uh, recognizing the theology of our warfare 
that, that we are in on a daily basis. And we left off in verse 17 of chapter 6, and we're going to pick it up in verse 18, and we're going to finish the book this morning. Let's read our text, Ephesians 6, 18 to 24. Paul's really talking about prayer. He's talking about prayer, and some people feel like prayer is part of the armor, and, and I don't really see it as specifically part of the armor because he doesn't say, and take up prayer, which is, and then give us something specific that would be related to the Roman soldier's armor. But I think prayer is really in summary of this whole book. That if we want to apply the wealth and we want to walk properly with God and we want to wage the good warfare that we've been called to, that it's going to be through prayer. And it really is Paul's summary. He closes with prayer, if you will, in in the importance of prayer. And how that we need to be people of prayer. And in this text, we're going to see Paul giving them a charge to pray and then a request for prayer for himself and then some closing comments. So let's read our text, starting verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak, but that you may also know my affairs and how I am doing. Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs, and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace to the brethren, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. And so he begins in verse 18 with a charge to pray. He says, look, as people who know their wealth in Christ, who know that blessings that they have in Christ, as people that understand what it is to walk with Christ, as people who understand the warfare that they're in, it is paramount that we be people of prayer. Now, as I stand up before you guys and teach on this, I do not stand before you as a person who would call themselves a man of prayer or a prayer warrior. I stand before you like you as a person who struggles to find time, who struggles to find the ability to put all of the other thoughts out of my mind, who struggles with the ability to get alone and pray, just like you do. It's a struggle for me. I'm on a journey just like you. I don't stand before you as a prayer warrior or a man of prayer. I I stand before you admitting and confessing that I struggle in this area of prayer, that this isn't something that I have um, figured out at all. And so as Paul begins to talk about prayer, he says, praying always, praying always. And, and this is one of those verses that I think we read past and, and we just sort of think, yeah, you know, it's, it's, uh, it is what it is. Or, or 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. And we don't really give it thought. That's a pretty intense thing to say. Praying always. Does that mean that we're always uh, 
sitting with our head bowed and our eyes closed, uh, articulating in our perfect King James English? Is that what it means to pray always? Obviously not, because we have jobs that we have to work. We have money to make. God said we have to provide for our own. We have kids to raise. We have ministry to do. We have people to, to serve. So how in the world do, do we always pray? Do we fulfill this verse, this phrase, praying always? Well, I think we have to understand and filter things through common sense and through other verses in the Bible. When Paul says, pray without ceasing or to pray always, we obviously know that it doesn't mean that we have to, to pray in a certain way all the time. What it means is that we're always in a state of being aware of the presence of God. Brother Lawrence, um, who was just a, a regular guy, he was a cook back in like the 16th century. He wrote a little book called Practicing the Presence of God. And, and basically what he says is that, that he was always aware of God's presence in his life. And he was always just in that state of prayer. Not going through a list or head bowed and hands folded. No, what he meant was he was just always communing with God, always talking to the Lord. And that's what Paul means when he says praying always is that as we're living life, and that's what we're called to do is to live life. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. We need to understand that eternal life starts now. It doesn't start when we die. It starts today. God wants to give us just abundance. God wants to give us victory. God wants to give us uh, just an amazing, fulfilling life here. And as we're living life, you guys, as we wake up in the morning and the alarm clock goes off and for the fourth time after the snooze button is wore out, we finally pull ourselves out of bed and we get to the shower and we just, we just pray. Thank you, Lord, for a new day. Thank you that your mercies are new every morning. God, what do you have for me today? Lord, what, what do you want uh, to do in me and through me? Lord, is there someone that you want me to minister to? God, give, give me the, the ability to do that. And, and Lord, give me the strength and, and the uh, awareness of that opportunity. And it's just an ongoing conversation as we're, we're making our way to work and we're, we're just praying, Lord, uh, thank you for this car that I'm able to drive to work. I don't have to walk. And then it started this morning. And thank you for the rain. And, and Lord, uh, as I... Go to work today. I know I'm going to be challenged with this person. I know I have a meeting with that guy. Or, or Lord, I know that they're bringing in this, this lady from the other side of the, the uh, building from another department, and I have to work with her now, and I don't really like her. And uh, Lord, help me to, to just show her Jesus. And, you know, we're just praying through things. And, and you can do that in all aspects of your life as you're mowing the lawn, as you're working on your car, as you're throwing the ball with your kids, or you know, cooking dinner, doing the dishes. And, and some of it, you guys, is, is redefining prayer. That it's not this, our Father who art in heaven, you know, kind of thing. That it's just conversation with God. And I think sometimes God hears all that flowery language and just thinks, what are you doing? You don't talk to anybody else like that. Why are you talking to me like that? And, you know, you got to change your voice and you got to put a certain inflection in your voice to make it real spiritual and, and just say things that you never say in any other context of life. 
We, we should just pray as if we're talking to the Lord. Now, there are times for the other types of prayer, and, and that's why Paul says praying always with all prayer. And so there's, there's different ways in which we pray. There's private prayer, which is a challenge for me. Because I, my mind never stops. I, I'm not a person that, that vegges out a whole lot. I'm not a person that doesn't, that can just shut my mind down. I'm always thinking. That's why our leaders get emails at like 11.30 at night. Because I'll be sitting there and I'll be watching a game or something and watching Sports Center. I'll go, you know what? We need to do this. And, and I'll email them because I know I'll forget later. Um, because I'm always reading something and I'm always thinking and I'm always challenging myself and my mind doesn't stop. So it's hard for me to get alone. I don't like to be alone, really. It's never, I was an only child. Maybe that's part of the problem. I don't like to be alone. It kind of freaks me out sometimes. Like when I'm at home, there's nobody there and, you know, it's like it's really quiet and I think, man, this would be a good time to pray, but instead I turn the TV on because I want noise. I think, well, I'll just pray with it just on kind of in the background. Because that's how, I'm, that's how I function. I, I like things going on. I, I like to be able to have some kind of a media outlet. I've got a little radio in my bathroom that I listen to when I'm taking a shower. I get in the truck and I turn the radio on. And sometimes the Lord just speaks to my heart like, hey, you could turn that off anytime. That's a novel thought. I didn't think about that. I mean, I, and I could just spend time with the Lord instead of listening to this guy go on about, you know, tonight's game or whatever. I'm a sports junkie, and it's, it's like, it's, you know, my chain and my thing to deal with. And you have to, to be able to understand and hear from the Lord when it's time to just get alone and, and, to, and to spend time with Him. And, you know, the disciples, they asked Jesus to teach them to pray. You remember that? Lord, teach us to pray. They didn't ask Him, Lord, teach us to, to do evangelism. Lord, teach us how to teach. Lord, teach us how to grow a big church. Lord, teach us how to be parents. I mean, they didn't say any of that. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. Why do you think that is? Here's the thing that makes sense to me, why they would ask Him that. Because they saw Jesus praying all the time. And so they thought to themselves, man, if we want to be like our rabbi, which remember, that was their mindset. They were Jews. They had asked Jesus, really, I mean, he kind of asked them, but in, in reality, they had asked him, culturally speaking, to be their mentor and to be their rabbi, which meant that you were with that person all the time. It wasn't like that Jesus called them up once in a while and they got together and talked about the Bible. Or he said, hey, you guys want to go fishing today? They were always together. Every minute of every day, Jesus would have been with His disciples. And that's why it would have really ticked them off when, when Jesus took the three. Because there, there would have been some competitiveness there. Oh, what do you mean, Rabbi? You, you like them more than, than us? You, you think they have more potential? Do, do they have the, the better uh, opportunity to follow in your footsteps? Because that's what the students of a rabbi would be would be the one to take the rabbi's job when he passed on. They, they would be uh, given his role. And so the disciples watched Jesus all the time. And they saw him get up early and go and pray. They saw him make a priority of 
sending the crowds away so that they could get alone to pray. They saw Jesus always having a conversation with God as He's making His way from place to place. And they thought to themselves, if we want to be like our rabbi, then we are going to be men of prayer. So Lord, teach us to pray. And I think that that is what we need to ask the Lord. God, teach us to pray. Praying always with all prayer. And some of it is private and getting alone. Some of it's public. Some of it's corporate. Gathering with other people to pray. And we have some opportunities for you to do that. Probably not enough. We've got so much going on. And it's, it's like not another thing. And in, in reality, people don't make a priority out of it. And so it's, it's not very well attended. So it's easy to not really have those opportunities. But we do meet on Wednesday nights at 6 o'clock. I know that's a tough time, but we wanted to make it uh, sort of close to another service so it's not another night. You can come and join us for prayer. And you know what? We need people to join us for prayer because it's real easy when it's only three or four of us that have to be here and that are here to just say, well, we're not going to pray now. We've got too much going on and we're, we're doing the service and we're getting this ready and I'm studying and Stuart's getting worship ready and we're getting the songs loaded and everything's going. And then it's like 645 and oh, we didn't pray. So we need you to come down to hold us accountable. We need you to be here at six to pray. We also have uh, a prayer uh, chain through email and through phone. Maybe you want to be a part of that. You can tear off the bulletin insert that says, put me on the email prayer chain. You can put your email and you'll get prayer requests through email. You can be on the phone chain to pray for emergency prayer requests. We have prayer during services. Not a lot of people are doing that, but we do have some people that, that come and pray uh, during first service and sometimes during second. And I would encourage you, maybe you want to start coming to first service and then praying during second. Man, that would be amazing. But there's opportunities for corporate prayer. And, and, and that's part of all prayer. And not only is it private and corporate, but it's also different types of, of prayer that we pray. There's prayers of worship and thanksgiving and adoration, which is something that we lack in. We don't often just praise the Lord for who He is. We don't often just tell God how wonderful He is and how thankful we are. We're not thankful people by nature. Typically, we're looking for the next thing. And, and man, that's really seen in Jesus' ministry as He would feed them, feed 5,000 people, and then the next day they, they want it again and, and again, and they're just following Him for what He can give them. They want a sign. They want a miracle. And... and we sometimes just need to pray in, in a worshipful way, in a, in a way that's Godward instead of usward. There, there's also um, intercession, praying for others. And that's not easy to do either because we're selfish. When we think of ourselves, it's hard to pray for other people and to keep our mind engaged. There's confession. Agreeing with God is what that means, that that, that was a sin, that that separated you from Him, that that broke fellowship with Him, and that it's displeasing to Him. And so we confess it, and the Bible says He's faithful to forgive us. And we, we have an advocate, a defense attorney with the Father constantly, but we need to be confessing our sin to God. And, and there's, there's also a time to, to ask the Lord for things and, and to, to let Him know of our needs. He already knows them, but we're just sort of letting Him know and we're reminding ourselves that He is our provider. And, and there's a time for that. But typically our prayer is defined by that, by asking God for stuff. 
Lord, do this. Lord, I need you to bless that. Lord, I've already made this decision. Can you please, you know, kind of make it work? And, and that's kind of how we pray. And it's like a laundry list. And, and we need to be always praying with all prayer. And supplication in the Spirit, he says. Supplication is an important word in prayer because it means asking for something specific. And and my daughter, it's really cool because she's starting to pray more specifically. But when she was little, like my my three-year-old son, you know, it's just, Lord, uh, you know, be with everybody in the family, be with the whole world, amen. And, And some people who have been walking with the Lord for a while still kind of pray that way. Lord, you know, bless the whole world. I pray everybody would get saved. Uh, amen. And, you know, we kind of think we've got our bases covered. But what God wants us to do is God wants us to ask for specific things. Pray for specific people so that He can answer in very specific ways. That's what supplication means. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. I want you to notice something there that he says supplication in the spirit that our prayer that as we are praying always with all prayer and asking things specifically that is in the spirit. And I think that is how we miss out on the privilege of prayer so often is that we don't pray in the spirit. And what does that mean to pray in the spirit? Well, I think there's a couple things that we need to be aware of. First of all, it's theological. It is that we pray to the Father. We're approaching the throne of God the Father. We're beseeching Him and we're praising Him. We're worshiping Him. And we do that through the Son, through Jesus. He made the way possible for us. And we do it by the Spirit. So we pray in the Spirit. In other words, it is the Spirit that is really giving us the things to pray for and is empowering our prayers and giving them life and meaning and substance. It's not only theological, but it's also Pentecostal. Now, when we hear that word in the, in the year 2007, automatically there's things that we associate with that word, Pentecostal. We automatically associate people doing weird stuff, hanging from chandeliers, maybe speaking in tongues, maybe running up and down the aisle. And it's like, wow, I went to one of those churches when I was a kid and I don't really want to do that again. And I, like I was just talking about last week. I mean, I went to one of those retreats when I was a kid and I thought, I don't want to do that again. Where the guy's punching demons out of people. But that is sadly what is called Pentecostalism. But that's not Pentecostalism. Pentecostalism is Acts chapter 2, where the believers were waiting in the upper room, waiting for God to do the miraculous. They were waiting for the Spirit of God to come and to take over their lives. Jesus said, wait for the power of the Spirit. And so they were waiting. They weren't waiting for some kind of a supernatural sign. They were just waiting for God to show up and to bless and to fill them. And Jesus said, when He does, this is what will happen. What will happen? That you'll speak in tongues? Not necessarily. That you'll run around the church like your pants are on fire? Not necessarily. That you'll hang from a chandelier? He didn't say any of that. That you'll have some kind of, you know, 
eerie kind of things to say to people, you know, in the name of God and, and that you're just like kind of weird? Is that what he said would happen? And all of those things might happen. You might prophesy. Praise the Lord if you do. You might speak in tongues. Praise the Lord if you do. You might experience any of the gifts. But that is not what Jesus said would be the sign to accompany the power of the Spirit. What he said would accompany you and would be the manifestation would be the power to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. We talk a lot about the fact that we're missionaries in this community, that you are a missionary, that you have a mission, that Jesus said, just as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And, and we need power to do that. And I think the reason why that we are failing to be missionaries in our community is because we don't live in and experience the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. That is what will be the sign of the power of the Holy Spirit, is power to be His witnesses, power to serve God. And that's what we need. We need His power. And that's what it means that praying in the Spirit is Pentecostal. It, it also holds the idea under this thought of Pentecostal that the Spirit is praying for us and through us. And maybe that would be in the gift of tongues. And there's a whole segment of the church that says, well, the, the gift of tongues ended at a certain point. It was no longer needed. And you know what? From a fleshly standpoint, that sounds really good to me. because And I got saved in a conservative Baptist church. And that's what I was taught for the first few years of my Christian walk. That's what I was taught. And from a fleshly, logical, having grown up not in the church at all, it was like, yeah, that, that resonates with me. Because I've seen that weird stuff and I don't want to be a part of that. So that's cool. This pastor's telling me this ended and I, I hey, good, good, good for you. I'm glad. And, but then as I began to study the Word, I was challenged with the text and the Proof and the validation that was being used. It was like, wow, this is a stretch, bro. I, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't see it. First Corinthians thirteen ten. When that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. That's the big text, proof text. Okay, it sounds good. When that which is perfect, they they say the perfect is the Bible. That when that which is perfect, the Bible has come. Then that which is not perfect or that which is in part will be done away with. In other words, the gifts, certain gifts. But it doesn't ever say which gifts. So I'm kind of thinking on one hand, if that does mean the Bible, then it has to mean all of the gifts are gone. And certainly they're not. But I don't even think that interpretation is a good interpretation. Because that which is perfect needs to be interpreted as Jesus. Because Paul is talking about heaven. That whole context there is about heaven that we're, um, that right now we see in a mirror dimly, but, but when we get there, when we see Him, we'll see all things. And we won't need gifts anymore. It's clearly what He's saying. And so, I believe that Paul is saying when Jesus comes and takes us home to be with Him, that we won't need those gifts anymore. And so, in the meantime, we need all of the gifts. But how they are applied and how they are manifested is very important. And I think that one segment of the church that says they don't exist 
it was basically a response, a throwing out of the baby with the bathwater from the other segment of the church that was misusing the gifts. And, and there was abuse going on. And all of the weirdness and all of the wacky stuff, people like me and people like my parents who didn't want to be a part of that kind of church because they've seen the abuses said, you know what, that can't be real. And then when we hear a pastor say, well, it doesn't exist, we think, right on, brother. <laughs> but in reality, it does exist, and we're missing out on a huge thing that God wants to do in our church and in our personal life. Now, Paul made it very clear that tongues is to be used very, very carefully and infrequently in the church corporately. And so churches that are having tongues every week, I don't see that in the Scripture. Churches that, that have 14 people speaking in tongues all at once, I don't see that in the Scripture. Pastors that preach in tongues without any interpretation, I've seen it on TV. All of a sudden the pastor says, you know what, I, I, the Spirit's coming on me. And then all of a sudden he starts just blabbering on. It's like, what in the world are you doing, dude? The 1 Corinthians 14 is real clear. You're out of line. It says that there would not be more than three and that every time there's an interpretation. And so if we have an opportunity for you guys uh, to use the gifts, and we do that on a Wednesday night sometimes, and, and if there were a tongue, and there never has been in the history of our church in five years, we've never had that. And I'm not stopping it or trying to put it, uh, a damper on what God can do, but if that were to happen and someone were to speak in tongues then we would wait for an interpretation. And if there weren't any interpretations, then we would say very simply, obviously there's no one here to interpret, and so we're not going to exercise that gift any longer tonight. And it's, very, it's done decently and in order, as the Scriptures say. And in reality, the gift of tongues is given to us as a private prayer language, as a way to pray in the Spirit. When you don't know what to pray. If you want to read Romans chapter 8, Paul talks about that. That when we don't know what to pray, the Spirit prays for us. And, and I believe all of this is tied together. And so, praying in the Spirit, very important. It's theological, it's Pentecostal, it's also supernatural. And what I mean by that is that it gives us a new perspective. Prayer, it, it, it takes us from the natural into the supernatural. And a, and a great illustration of that, you guys is found in 2 Kings with Elisha. And, and they're there, they're holed up in their house, he and Gehazi, and the Syrian army is there to attack them because they didn't like him, they didn't like what he had to say, they didn't like the prophecies that he was prophesying, they didn't like his God, and so they were coming to kill him. And Gehazi was like, look, I don't know if you've noticed Elisha, but there's a lot of people out there and they're mean and they want to kill us. So is there something that we can do about that? You know, is there like a trap door or a place that we can hide? And Elisha prayed and just said, Lord, open his eyes that he might see. And the Lord opened Gehazi's eyes and he was able to see what was really going on. He saw a host of angels that were there to defeat the enemy. And you guys, we at times need a new perspective. We need a new perspective on, on our life. We need a new perspective on, on what's going on. And we need to see clearly the way the Lord does. So, praying in the Spirit, very important. He says, being watchful to this end, which that word means 
without sleep, being watchful. Literally means to be without sleep. And some of you know what that is like very well. Maybe you struggle with with insomnia and, and not being able to sleep or you wake up 14 times during the night. And here's the thing. Maybe God is calling you to be a person of prayer. Maybe God, when He wakes you up, wants you to pray. And I'm not saying that, that you don't need to sleep. But I'm saying if, if you're struggling with that, maybe God is, is calling you to a deeper prayer life. And so instead of rolling around and trying to count sheep, or, you know, going out into the living room and watching TV at 2 in the morning and, and you know, seeing if you want to buy a set of knives or something, <laughs> that you would just pray and that you would just be aware of what the Lord is wanting to do and you'd be sensitive. And, Lord, why would you wake me up? And, and, and is there somebody I need to pray for? Is there something that, that, that I need to be aware of? And, and I, I can tell you a couple of things. One is that you'll probably fall asleep because the enemy's going to be like, you know what? I, I don't want them waking up in the middle of the night anymore. And, and the second thing is that you'll, you'll find um, that maybe you're not as tired as you were because maybe prayer will energize you in a way that, that sleep isn't able to. Something to think about. But... He says, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints, with all perseverance. In other words, don't give up. Keep praying. As Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. In, in the Greek language, those words literally mean keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. You remember the story Jesus told of the persistent widow who kept coming to the judge. And finally, the judge was like, look, it's not that I want to do what you're asking me to do, and I don't even care about you, but I am tired of you waking me up in the middle of the night. And the Lord was using that as an illustration that if a wicked judge would give in to the persistence of a woman who keeps knocking on his door every night asking for the same thing, how much more would our loving God answer our prayers as we persevere in prayer? Jesus said in Luke 18.1, Pray and don't lose heart. Pray and don't give up. And maybe you've been praying for someone to get saved for a long time. And I would, I would say, keep praying. Don't give up on them. Persevere in prayer. I have a friend who I've been praying for since we were freshmen in high school, Sean Schmidt. And he's been calling me Reverend ever since we were kids. And once in a while he'll call me up and he, Reverend, I'm, I'm in town, let's go get lunch. And he's, a, he's like a big wig for Mutual of Omaha and he's based out of Portland and, and he travels and sometimes we'll get lunch. And probably our senior year of high school, after four years of me just preaching at him and not always in the kindest of ways. You know, when, when you're a new believer, I mean, it's like you just hit people with both barrels, you know. And it's just like, Schmidt, you're going to hell, buddy. You need to repent, you know. And he finally, after four years of that, he said, look, Couch, I don't ever want to hear you talk about Jesus again. Don't talk about the Bible Jesus, church, nothing. And so I honored that. And I haven't since. And we get together for lunch, talk about things, you know. He likes sports too. We talk about what people are doing, blah, blah, blah. And I just pray for him. 
and, and, and persevere in prayer. Don't give up. And he says, with supplication for all the saints. And as I said, that, that word supplication is important. It's asking for specific things. He says, for all the saints. You guys, this is important. And this is why I think God has called us to be a part of a, of a church, of a fellowship of people. Because we can pray for one another. We can lift each other up in prayer. It's part of the blessing of being in a church. And that's what he means when he says pray for all the saints. Obviously, we can't pray specifically for every saint in the world. But that's why we're gathered together as a body and we can pray for one another. And, and take advantage of the prayer requests. There, on your bulletin, there's a tear-off sheet. and You can put a prayer request down. Use the prayer chain, email or phone. Don't be prideful. Don't be stubborn. Don't think, well, they don't have time for that or, or whatever. Use the prayer opportunities that are there. And he says in verse 19, and for me. And so now it goes from a charge to pray to a request for prayer. And he says, for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Here's the really awesome thing about that. If I were Paul, I would have had a host of other things to pray for beside that. I mean, he's in prison. He's being beaten. Remember 2 Corinthians chapter 11? All of the things that Paul said had happened to him. Being beaten, starved, shipwrecked, going without sleep. I mean, Paul had a prayer request list. And what does he pray for? That I would have boldness to share the gospel. Man, if you're not convicted about, about that... There's something wrong with you. Because we pray for all sorts of other things, very selfishly. And Paul says, look, pray that I would have boldness to share the gospel because I realize and I recognize that I'm an ambassador. I'm a representative of God. And that's what we are, you guys. We are representatives of God in this community. You are a missionary. The only question is, how good of one are you? The only question is, Are you fulfilling your role as a sent one? Jesus said, and I said it already, but I'll say it again, that as I have been sent, so I am sending you. We have been sent, you guys, into this community to reach people with the mystery, as he says here, of the gospel. The mystery of the gospel. You know what? Too often in our sharing of the gospel, we want to make people believe that we have all of the answers. Because, again, there's this arrogance that comes with being a Christian that we have the truth, right? We know we have the truth. But rather than arrogance, it should create humility. It should create humility because the more I read the Bible, the more questions that I have. I don't have all the answers. Man, when I was a young believer and when I was in Bible college, I thought I knew everything. You could ask me anything and I had an answer for it. But the longer I walk with the Lord, the less I know. It's kind of funny how that works. And I'm getting to a place where I kind of don't think I know much at all. And in our sharing of the gospel, you guys, we we share it that it's a mystery. Not that we don't have any answers, but that we don't have all the answers. And we can listen to people as a Christian. It's okay to do that. It's okay to listen to people's doubts and their questions and their concerns, and their bitterness, and all the things they hate about the church. It's okay to listen to that. And we don't have to have an answer. 
We don't have to be thinking about what we're going to say before they finish talking. Because people read and see right through all that. And what they see in us is people who just want to conquer. We just want to put their name on a tally sheet. That we conquered another one. We got another pagan into the kingdom. And it's us versus them. And that's why we're very ineffective in our evangelism, you guys. In in this culture especially. We need to be sensitive to how we're sharing the gospel. Because remember, people get their information in a lot of different ways today. And typically, it's not by the street preacher with a sandwich board sign that's screaming and yelling at people. It's not real effective anymore. might have been effective when George Whitfield was traveling the country and there were no newspapers, there was no radio, there was no internet. But I mean, come on. We live in the information age. People aren't going to listen to some crazy guy on the street. People don't even really listen to me. People don't listen to someone who thinks that they've got it all together and they have all the answers. What people want to hear is, look, I'm on a journey and I've found Jesus. And man, He's radically changed my life and He wants to change your life. Would you consider, would you consider the teachings of Jesus? Would you consider what He said? Would you read this on your own and get back to me? See, and you give people an opportunity to see things for themselves, for God to speak to them, not for you to shove it down their throat. And so it's a mystery and we need to be we need to be open to that. We need to be open to questions. We need to be open to doubt. For some reason in the church we we think that that doubt is like next to the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Look, we're going to doubt the Lord sometimes. And it's okay to talk about that and it's okay to to verbalize that, to say, you know what, man, I'm just struggling with this. I'm doubting the Lord in this. Will you pray for me? I don't understand this. It doesn't make sense. We just read things and we don't understand them and we just sort of, you know, want, don't want to look foolish, so we just pass it over and, and we never ask. It's okay to ask questions. It's okay to doubt. It's okay to struggle with stuff. It's okay to wrestle with God. But hopefully, on your journey, you're not wrestling with God about the same thing that you wrestled with Him about today. You're moving past things. You're you're learning and you're growing and you're maturing. And so, he closes in verses 21 to 24 with with a gracious greeting. He says, But that you may know my affairs and how I am doing, Paul was always concerned about other people. He wanted them to know that he was okay. They were worried about him. He says, I'm sending Tychicus, a beloved brother, a faithful minister in the Lord, to make all things known to you. And I'm sending to him, sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs and that he might comfort your hearts. And then he closes with peace to the brethren, love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. So he he closes with these themes of the book. Peace, love, faith, grace, loving God in sincerity. He closes basically by saying all these things are yours if you want to appropriate them into your life. And they're available to those that love God in sincerity. What does that mean? Does that mean that you never make mistakes? Does that mean you never blow it? No. What it means is that you're sincere in your love and your devotion for Jesus. And that you're not there just to simply see what He is going to give you. 
that you're not there to fill out a time card, to fill a quota, that you're following Jesus because you recognize that He is the way, the truth, and the life, and you're sincere about that, and you're not turning your back on Him when things are tough or when things are difficult, but you're sincerely loving Jesus and wanting to make Him known to a lost world around you. book of Ephesians is an amazing study, you guys. I hope that it has given you a new perspective about the Lord that has drawn you closer to Jesus. Next week we'll start Philippians. I'm excited about that. Why don't we stand and pray together? Father, thank You for the opportunity to study Your Word. Lord, I thank You that that we all have access to a Bible. Lord, something that for most of the history of the church was not even remotely feasible. And Lord, yet all of us sit here and we own a Bible. Many of us own multiple copies. And Lord, I pray that we would be people of Your Word. That God, we would recognize the power of Your Word. That Lord, we would, as Jeremiah said, find Your Word and consume Your Word so that it might be the joy and the rejoicing of our heart. Lord, may Your Word dwell richly in us. And Lord, may we be people of prayer. Lord, I confess to You that that God, I am not a man of prayer, that I am not what would be called a prayer warrior. And Lord, I ask that You would continue to make me in and make us into people of prayer. And Lord, we confess that, that often we're not people of prayer because we simply don't depend on You. We depend on ourselves. We're self-sufficient. We don't need You. And yet, Lord, when things get tough, then we become prayer warriors all of a sudden. And Lord, forgive us for that. Lord, may we be people of prayer every day, praying always with all prayer. God, forgive us, but Lord, empower us to apply these things in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Pastor Ryan Couch, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Prineville, Oregon. For more information on Calvary Chapel of Crook County, you may email us at info at calvarycrookcounty.com. Or if you'd like to write to us, you may do so at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon, 97754. Thank you for listening, and God bless.